From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, amniotic membrane grafts in Stevens-Johnson syndrome, part two. These people are, they're living basically normal lives uh, with very little in the way of eye problems. First this. As Seen From Here reaches ophthalmologists in 98 countries, transfers more than half a terabit of podcasts every month, but the potential audience is much larger. Please tell your colleagues about this free resource, Flattening the Ophthalmic World. And while you're at it, let your residents and fellows know about Open Ophthalmology, a free basic science video podcast already a force in ophthalmic education with 1,800 viewers watching 6,000 video lectures every month. Information wants to be free. Help me give it away. This is part two of my conversation with Darren Gregory on the utility of amniotic membrane grafts in the management of acute Stevens-Johnson syndrome and toxic epidermal necrolysis. What was your typical post-operative regimen as far as as drops go, and particularly steroids? Yeah, I put them on... uh... Dexamethasone drops, uh, we use a, a 1% uh, commercially available solution. It's a regular preserved uh, version of it. Uh, I put them on uh, cyclosporin drops, uh, not formula, just the, the regular commercially available ones, and uh, moxifloxacin eye drops as well. I have them just do those. Uh, each of the drops is applied every 12 hours, but I stagger the application so that they're getting one of the drops put on every four hours throughout the day and night. I also have them use a combination tobramycin and dexamethasone ointment along the eyelid margins. because The, the membranes tend to desiccate and uh, get kind of dry, dried out along the lid margin, so we try and keep them a little more lubricated and moistened with the ointment a little more frequently. They get patients get checked each day. I rinse their eyes with a with saline. They usually in the in the intensive care units or on the in the hospital they'll have you can get either a syringe or a little saline bullet respiratory bullet that they use uh, to rinse the eye. It's important to inspect the eye each day, even with the membranes even in place, to look for any signs of any corneal infiltrates, uh, which is usually my the biggest worry I have. Uh, in the short term in these patients is if they get a corneal infection. Uh, especially in the ICU, they tend to get pretty severe uh, pathogens, whether they're fungal or multidrug-resistant bacteria. So it's important. I just use a, a direct ophthalmoscope uh, to light the eye and get a good view of it. Uh, but they get rinsed carefully each day and inspected uh, throughout their hospital course so until they've you know, clearly turned the corner and are looking better. You mentioned the use of Procara. I've I've never seen Procara. Can I can I get you to to describe what it what it looks like and sure you know what 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 the the contexts are in 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 which it it's uh, used. Yeah, it's a thin uh, sixteen millimeter uh, plastic ring. Actually, there's two rings that are pressed together and they have the membrane uh, clipped in between them, and it's stretched across the the lumen of the ring sort of like a tambourine or like the, you know, the, the part of the drum that you bang on that's stretched across the tube uh, so that 
uh, you set it on the eye, uh, you know, just like a large, like a scleral contact lens or something, uh, and it sits such that the the ring acts a little bit like a symblepheron ring to separate the eyelids from the eyeball, although it doesn't reach way down into the fornices, and it and it drapes the membrane right onto the cornea and the limbus, uh, and so it, it's nice. I mean, it can be inserted; just takes a, a few seconds to insert it. Uh, so if there's not extensive bulbar conjunctival involvement, uh, it can be a, a useful thing that makes the surgery go a lot quicker as well. And there's now, in the U.S., there's, uh, you know, there are billing codes that can be used for reimbursement for it, and that's just new this year, so it makes it more uh, palatable for, for folks to use. What were your main outcome measures for this study? Uh, and I think I mentioned earlier, we looked at the vision the dry eye symptoms, severity, presence of any dry eye symptoms and the severity, and also the extent of the ocular surface scarring. And I, I mentioned the, the grading system we used uh, that was published uh, out of Japan. And then we, the dry eyes were evaluated uh, with a questionnaire for the presence of symptoms and also uh, based on the, the treatments that were used uh, and graded as none, mild, moderate, or severe. In mild cases, we're using just artificial tears. Moderate cases needed either a topical steroid or uh, cyclosporin drops to help control the symptoms. And then severe cases required uh, either serum drops and or uh, a scleral lens uh, to, to try and control the symptoms. All of them except one had 20-20 vision or better. And the one who didn't uh, was a lady who had had, she was, she had three treatments with the amniotic membrane. She was in the ICU for six weeks and in the hospital a total of 75 days. And she got two corneal infections in one of her eyes. Thankfully, they were peripheral, but it was a rare fungal infection followed by a methicillin-resistant staph aureus infection. And she ended up with about four diopters of irregular astigmatism uh, and, and near perforation. But she's end up with her scleral lens 20-30 in that eye, and the other eye is 20-25. And she actually her dry eye symptoms were moderate, um, but she had uh, fairly severe light sensitivity, and so she ended up getting fitted with the scleral lens for, more for that reason than the dryness. And the very first patient that we treated, uh, where we weren't quite sure if it was even going to work, uh, we we only treated the lids once, and we put a Procare on each eye. And she ended up with 20-20 vision, but she had similar kind of moderate dry eye and a fairly severe photophobia. Uh, but with the scleral lenses, she's been doing very well, and her symptoms are mostly controlled. But all the others have had very manageable dry eye problems. We had one, the third case, uh, the second case we did ended up with uh, some trichiasis, uh, which has been problematic and ended up getting a wedge resection on part of the lid to remove the abnormal lashes. Uh, but dry eyes, minimal, and uh, 20-20 vision. So these people are, they're living basically normal lives uh, with, with very little in the way of eye problems. Uh, and these are, these are, you know, the cases that we did, I think uh, we, we, during the time frame of the study, we had something close to 30 patients uh, that we evaluated and treated, and only 10 of them were, we thought severe enough to need the membranes, so it wasn't. We weren't throwing them on mild cases. So I, I think it would, it's unlikely that all of all of, all ten patients consecutively would have turned out 
nearly as well as they did with you know pretty mild, very manageable problems, if any, uh, without the, the treatments we employed. These, pa- these are patients that were headed for, I think, at least a good proportion of them were almost guaranteed to have very severe scarring and problem, significant problems with their eyes, and, and they don't. And that's not the typical outcome in that type of case. And the main treatment was the amniotic membrane, very limited steroid use. So I think it, it shows that you don't necessarily need the steroids on the eye or systemically to prevent the eye problems. So It's essentially not possible to do any sort of statistical testing with Stevens-Johnson therapy because we just don't see these, these patients that, that frequently. Having said that, how, how do you think your outcomes stack up against other Stevens-Johnson syndrome ocular therapies? I'd put them up against any of them. I mean, I, I, the results are, are great. I mean, I didn't invent the treatment, uh, or I, and I certainly wasn't the first one to do it or, or think of it, uh, but I've, I think I've done it as much as anybody in North America anyway, uh, mostly because I've made myself available to do it. And we, and we have the only burn unit in Denver for like 500 miles. So we get a, a large catchment area of patients funneled into our, uh, our system. And I evaluate all of them. And uh, so I've seen a lot over the years. And, and I, as a result, I've a little, you know, developed a bit of a reputation. And so patients who have had the disease treated elsewhere uh, seek out help from me, hoping I have some magic wand or way to fix the chronic problems. And unfortunately, I don't. I don't. So I I work hard at the front end to prevent the problems. And I can say that none of the patients that I have treated over the last five years during the time I've used amniotic membrane, and and that's going on 60 or 70 Stevens-Johnson or toxic epidermal necrolysis patients, none of them has ended up with, you know, the catastrophic problems that you that you hear about or people are familiar with with the disease. So I, I don't think it's, I don't, don't think it's by coincidence. I think that the membranes work. How does amniotic membrane work? Well, there's actually, uh, research has shown that the membrane inactivates macrophages and T lymphocytes. And so when you get all of those cells being recruited to the areas of apoptosis and inflammation, they, it inactivates them and it decreases the, the amount of cytokines, the damaging cytokines in that area. And I think that the, that cytokine storm is temporary. So if you can put something on there to douse the flames during the flared up period, and maintain enough normal mucosa to heal things in afterwards, it heals normally. You know, if you do a pterygium surgery uh, or if someone gets a, a localized burn or injury on the eye, the surrounding conjunctiva will heal in those areas, the damaged areas, with fairly normal mucosa. But in Stevens-Johnson syndrome, if, the, if there's so much area, such a large area that's damaged, there's not enough healthy conge to heal things in fast enough to prevent scar tissue from taking over and healing things in in place of the normal mucosa. So I think if you can suppress things at the outset, you you prevent all the damage that leads to all the long-term disastrous problems. And that, that's been our experience now. We've treated, I think, I'm doing one tomorrow. Uh, 
she'll be, I think, our 26th or 27th patient that we've treated in this fashion. And you know, none of them have ended up with the severe problems that you see. So, Darren, outside of the context of this study, what are your clinical indications for amniotic membrane graft in the context of Stevens-Johnson syndrome uh, and of toxic epidermal necrolysis? Sure. And, and that's, that's actually the paper I'm working on right now because we have, uh, have a series of 47 patients and, and we've developed a grading system uh, looking at them from mild, moderate, severe, and extremely severe. With the mild is just a conjunctivitis without any fluorescein staining. The, the, key, the key to evaluating them is the extent of fluorescein staining. So it's very simple to do. It's just a fluorescein strip at the bedside and a blue light on your direct ophthalmoscope. You can get a good sense of how much damage and how severe the disease is on the eyes. It's important that you rinse the eyes with some saline because the mucus and uh, any ointments and stuff will tend to pick up the, the stain. But you have to look up in the, and down into the fornices, pull the lower eyelid down, lift the upper eyelid up, and inspect the whole surface. Pay particular attention to the cornea. Areas, if there are areas on the bulbar conjunctiva with limited staining, you know, you may have a, a half millimeter to up to, I mean, a half centimeter up to maybe even a full centimeter area of sloughing, but if there's a lot of surrounding normal conjunctiva and the eye's not, you know, just intensely inflamed with intense injection, I, I call that moderate, and those can be observed. And we've had about 10 patients like that that we have observed, and they haven't ended up having any visual or dry eye problems. I worry more if there's any staining on the cornea. If there's sloughing in the cornea, that worries me because it obviously can get infected, but it also, I think, indicates uh, possible inflammation at the limbus of the cornea, too, that may be damaging the stem cells. I also worry more about the tarsal conjunctiva and the lid margins. Uh, the patient we're doing this, the treatment on tomorrow has uh, clear corneas, uh, I'd say mild to moderate bulbar conjunctival involvement, but extensive sloughing and staining. The, and the entire tarsal conjunctiva is gone, and the lid margins are, are sloughed too and picking up stain. And so that, that to me is a severe case. If there's any corneal involvement, really extensive bulbar conj involvement, and by involvement, I mean fluorescein staining and sloughing, or uh, extensive tarsal conjunctiva and, and lid margin involvement. The severe cases, if they have just kind of one area of the eye that I mentioned involved, whether it's a cornea, tarsal conj, or extensive bulbar conj involvement, they tend to only need one round of the treatment. If the people have all, if patient has all, all of those areas involved, then they tend to be the more severe cases which I've dubbed extremely severe, and they, they are likely to need the membranes repeated after anywhere from 10 to 14 days because the, the inflammation tends to be very severe still at that point. And as we've started doing the treatments, I mean, a lot of the patients now, they're treated within 24 hours or so of arriving at our hospital, uh, depending on the logistics of getting them to the OR. And the surgery is kind of time-consuming, so I have to find a block of time when I can do it. And uh, as we treat them earlier, there, there's probably some increased chance that they may need the, the grafting repeated uh, the earlier we start doing it. Um, but the extent of fluorescein staining is the key. And if you're not sure, you know, if, if there's 
fairly extensive areas on the bulbar conge and the eyes pretty inflamed. I, I, you know, I talk with the families and I say, you know, I can't promise you that, that if we, if we just watch this, you know, that it's going to turn out okay. I said, I, and I can't guarantee you if we do the membranes and treat the eye that, it, that it'll turn out with no problems either, but I think the chances of avoiding problems are a lot higher if we do the membranes. So my hope is that by publishing, you know, a fairly straightforward, practical way to evaluate it, it'll be helpful for, for ophthalmologists who don't see it that often, who you know, are kind of perplexed on trying to, to figure out, well, is this a bad case, or is this, you know, should I be really worried here, or is this something we can just watch? Because most, most of the textbooks and things you read about say to sweep the fornices and look for symblepharon, but the fact that there's symblepharon forming to me is not the problem. The fact is if there's that bad of inflammation and sloughing that you're getting symblepharon, you've got to do something about that inflammation or else you're missing the boat. Just breaking the symblepharon doesn't fix things. You know, if, you, if, you're, if there's extensive staining, then it, it, the article needs to be, my article needs to be accessed. Uh, and there were a review article that I wrote describing the use of the membrane and the fairly detailed description of the surgical technique is available for free, a free download. The publisher allowed it uh, on the Stevens Johnson Foundation website. And the, the email address is just sjsupport.org. And there's a link uh, on the left side of the home page there that says ophthalmologic management. And you click on it, and there's a free PDF download of an article that describes in more detail free for anyone who has internet access. So if anyone has questions, uh, that would hopefully help and help guide them to, as they help try and decide you know, what, what to do about these obviously very challenging cases. Darren, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, disseminate the information more. Darren Gregory is Associate Professor of Ophthalmology in Cornea and External Disease at the University of Colorado. His paper, Treatment of Acute Stevens-Johnson Syndrome and Toxic Epidermal Necrolysis Using Amniotic Membrane, a Review of 10 Consecutive Cases, appears in the May 2011 issue of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Gregory or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.